Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us as we talk about the experience of being a kid in the 80s and hearing 1999 and Thriller. Both albums have a big anniversary this year. 40 years. How? Why? Why 40? But first, it's the giving season. It's actually Giving Tuesday. And there are Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals all about. If you'd like to get something for the podcast, here are a few things you can do. Help people find the podcast. If you enjoy listening to us, thank you. Leave a review and subscribe wherever you are listening. That's one option. Another option. Also, just share us with your friends. Tell your friends about us. If you're a comedian and think the podcast and or newsletter have offered some inspiration or good tools, tell a friend about us. Option three, follow us on social media. Share some posts. Retweet. Do whatever you so choose as long as it's nice to people. Because we are talking about social media. Option four, there are plenty of valuable places to donate to. So first, do that. If you're helping people in the Ukraine or Iran or Palestine or giving to trans rights or Black Lives Matter organizations or women's shelters all over the world, that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. If you happen to have a couple extra bucks after giving to those and want to support us, you can with a one-time gift to PayPal or a monthly payment to Patreon. Friend of the show, Sean Cantatore, just supported the podcast, which was super sweet of her. That means a lot. It would mean a lot if you did, too. But please don't do it instead of giving to people in need. Speaking of Sean, she's got some shows coming up. She has dates in Astoria, Brooklyn, and Manhattan throughout December. She's also going to be on the road. If you're in Boston, check her out on December 8th at the Rockwell And she'll be in Washington, D.C. on December 17th at the D.C. Art Center. Check those shows out. We have a link tree in the description so you can get direct information about those shows and all that she's got going on. All right, well, let's just get right to today's episode. We're joined by the of the show fellas. We're talking about 1999 and Thriller because they just had 40-year anniversaries. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with the of the show fellas. 40 years ago, two albums came out that changed the hierarchy of the DC universe. Oh, no, wait. My bad. They just changed the music industry forever. Uh, Not the DC universe. That's a different thing. Anyway, 1999 and Thriller. Granted, the impact was different for these two albums because Thriller is the highest selling album of all time. But both Prince and Michael had a huge impact on the industry from MTV to record sales. It was MJ's biggest impact, I would say. And with 1999, Prince was just getting started. 
We're talking about these two monumental albums with best friend of the show, Rob, and brother of the show, Trey. You're a vegetable. <laughs> They're going to hate you. So let's start with 1999, since it came out first. The album was released in October of 1982, and the lead single was 1999, and it peaked at number 12, but number four on the U.S. R&B charts, and number 25 in the U.K., but of course, it had more life after that when the year 1999 came around. <laughs> this album had four singles, but we'll talk a little bit more about the songs that are also on the album but singles wise it was 1999 little red corvette delirious and let's pretend we're married international lover was not released as a single i don't believe but i think it got an r&b grammy nomination uh, which is interesting that it it doesn't appear i think to... it because yeah i think it got like best male vocal i don't remember right if it was... yeah which is interesting it's interesting yeah. that it was under that if it wasn't one of the singles of the album. That's not even a B-side. That's interesting. Some interesting B-sides on that, though. Let's just mention them. Other songs that are on the album, like All the Critics Love You in New York mm-hmm. and Something in the Water and Automatic were released in Australia. And that's it for other songs on the album. But Irresistible Bitch was one of the B-sides and Horny Toad <laughs> and How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. Just an absolute Mm -hmm. classic. So let's get down to it. Let's talk about when the album came out. Do you remember that time period? I do not. I don't remember. I was less than a month old. (laughs) Right. Rob definitely doesn't remember because he was less than a month old. But I don't remember when this album came out because I don't think that was my introduction to Prince. Hmm. But obviously throughout the 80s and 90s, I heard... Little Red Corvette in 1999, a ton. Trey, do you mm-hmm. remember? Was this your introduction to Prince? I've obviously heard those songs, <laughs> but I don't remember first hearing this. I remember first hearing our next topic, but I don't remember. I ca- I guess I kind of compare, since we've got two icons that we're talking about, I think a good comparison for me is 1999 is to Prince as Off the Wall was to Michael Jackson. Both of those albums I've obviously been exposed to since, mm-hmm. but they weren't my entry points. And then it also seems to be, in both cases, the album before they became who they became in terms of... Right, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That does make sense. I also compared a lot to U2's The Unforgettable Fire, because that is a big album. A lot of people love that album of theirs, but the fans are the ones who really love that album. The world doesn't know that album the way they know the Joshua Tree, which was the Mm -hmm. next album. But we're talking Prince and Michael Jackson. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, Off the Wall was not... A lot of people say that was Michael's debut album. It wasn't. He actually had an album or two as a kid, solo album or two as a a young boy. Yeah, Off the Wall was his fifth album. Right. And so... I didn't realize it was five, but... Well, yeah, there's the Jackson stuff. Jackson 5. Oh, stuff. I thought the Jackson had more than... Okay. Say again? How, how many albums did the Jacksons have? They didn't have like 30? <laughs> I know, like they, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how many had... But I just mean like solo Michael the Jackson solo, albums. Mm-hmm. Off the Wall was not his first. And, but it, it feels uh, like it's his first though. But it feels like because he was yeah. an adult and it wasn't... 
you know, people took it more it seriously. It wasn't little Michael Jackson. It was Michael Jackson. Like the man. Right. Yeah. You mean little Michael Jackson or the Jackson five? <laughs> <pie? laughs> we that's will not a... mention John Landis on this. Pie. No, I'm just kidding. That's such a deep reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's an extremely deep cut reference. We absolutely are going to have to talk about that in a minute when yeah. we get to that album. So, yeah, I don't, as I mentioned, I don't remember this album, but of course, remember hearing 1999 a bunch as a little kid. And I, I remember hearing Little Red Corvette a, a decent amount, but not as much as I feel like other songs. That's probably just because maybe it was on and I just was only partially listening to it because I didn't get it as much. But I mean, Purple Rain was the one that just blew up for him, obviously. But 1999, mm-hmm. a fantastic album. Let's actually go through the track listing for the American original release. There is a remaster a couple years ago, but track one, 1999, track two, Little Red Corvette, track three, Delirious, track four, Let's Pretend We're Married. So those were the singles and just banger after banger there. Then you've got DMSR, Automatic, or as I like to call it, AUTOMATIC. Something in the Water Does Not Compute, Free, Lady Cab Driver, All the Critics Love You in New York, which every time I, every once in a while when I'm walking around the city, I I think of that, that line and some of that song, <laughs> and International Lover. And I would say it's, it's kind of interesting that DMSR, because it's such a well-known and classic mm-hmm. song from just his whole catalog. I was surprised that it was not released. I really thought it was a single until I was when I was reading about the album the other day, and I was shocked because it it does seem like one. I mean, I've I've heard multiple bands cover that. It's one that I f- usually find on like popular Prince, you know, yeah. playlist. You know, like that's it. Just that's a pretty heavy favorite. So I was surprised it didn't it didn't chart better or it didn't chart it, or they didn't release it. So and I wonder if that's. I mean, you might say like it's because it's over eight minutes long, but let's pretend we're married is seven minutes and 20 seconds. They They don't play the full version of Red Corvette or 1999. Sure. Yeah. But no, I'm just saying like why? Yeah, why? With the MSR. That's what I'm saying. Like that's that's what's so weird is they didn't release Mm -hmm. the full 1999. They I remember the first. I didn't. I'd actually not listened to the album. I knew like the 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 single version so much. When I finally heard, like, you know, the whole mom, why's everybody get a bomb part? I was like, what the hell song is this? I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy. Mommy, why's everybody got a bomb? <laughs> <laughs> the artwork on it, pretty great. The cover art was, I believe, something he drew. I think he had a knack for doing that. You really saw him becoming the big time artist that he ended up being. So let's talk about the impact of this album. So, When Prince died, a music critic said that Prince made the three best albums of the 80s. He didn't say specifically, but he had to mean 1999, Purple Rain, and Sign of the Times. Now, obviously, he's overlooking Thriller, so I don't agree. You don't have Thriller in the top three for the 80s, and I just don't know. Even even giving so much love. Or Pyromania, too, by Def Leppard. Like That was a monster album, too. Right. I mean, there's going to be so many. That can be in the running, but Joshua Tree. Yeah. Yeah. But like Thriller's number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so if you're not mentioning it, I just don't know about your opinion. You're very biased. And I'm a, I love Prince as much as I do. Yeah. But, ju- but it still shows the importance of these albums, including 1999. Rob, as a guitarist, 
How do you think this album shaped how guitarists approach playing? Well, I mean, when you do the Prince thing, that rhythm, when someone says, do you like a Prince rhythm? Dun, da, 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 that is like mm-hmm. so much of like that, that kind of funky rhythm and like definitely like a sus- music nerd part, <laughs> like the sustain chord to like the seventh chord. It's just, it's really, that's the hook of the song. It's basically an A to a B flat. And, but it's right. such a good hook and, and it mm-hmm. kind of describes him as a guitarist, but then you hear other tracks and you hear why he's so well regarded just from, cause you, you know, you go from something as funky as purple rain to something more rocky as, as little core red Corvette back and, you know, back to back. So yeah. you kind of see like his versatility and why he's so amazing <laughs> and like how he does that impact of like, yes, I can be, I can write a song like I was James Brown's son and play mm-hmm. guitar like I did, like if I was in James Brown's band. But then mm-hmm. I can also turn around and write a rock banger like like Little Red Corvette, which yeah. is a killer outro solo, which I don't yeah. think he now, actually, I, he didn't play that solo. I think yeah, it was Des Dickerson, right? Des, but you can't tell me that he didn't tell Des exactly what to play. I know the way that it's played. <laughs> yeah. The fact that like when you hear other Prince solos, <laughs> it sounds so much, so like, much like Prince. So <laughs> yeah, like yeah, he, I, I have a heart. Yeah. When I, I was like, when I read that the other day, because I didn't realize he didn't do the solo and I read it and I was like, I heard it a few years ago. Yeah, I was Des was saying something about it. And I was like, OK, but but come on, like <laughs> you were playing to the demo, right? <laughs> yeah, you probably copied exactly what he did. So, that, yeah, it's just I think the impact, like the, that funky rhythm, but then the melding of like the Santana Hendrix inspired rock guitar. It's always, you know. I think that's why he's had the biggest impact on guitar. Right. And this album also is the first Prince album to have a lot of the revolution on it. If not all of the revolution, though, this is not technically Prince in the revolution. album. Yeah. Wendy doesn't play guitar on it, but she sings on it. Yeah. 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 And then obviously Lisa's one third of 99. So, (laughs) (laughs) so Trey, I know you've, done a lot of research on it what have you found what stood out to you about this album well i i don't know i i don't think i've done my normal level of research on this so i so i'm gonna actually disappoint your this is the this is the duke (laughs) research not the yale researching (laughs) but what i i think it's a lot of what i said earlier just seeing the critical acclaim of 1999 Mm -hmm. but it's not the one even though people are familiar with you know 1999 little red corvette more than probably the rest, uh, though they all also familiar with Delirious, is not where he blew up. And it's it's just kind of yeah. seeing that aspect of it and then kind of learning. Because I was too young, even though I watched MTV at that age, I was like, I was six years old when this came out. So it's not mm-hmm. like I was really following and paying attention to like the cultural impact. But kind of reading about that now and seeing that like, both of today's topics were basically the first black people to be played on on mtv yeah because of their... and their success was so major that they had to be played on mtv right. which mtv was not originally trying to do and they even verbally were saying we don't play black art you know like we don't play black artists because people in the midwest because people in the midwest wouldn't like it you yeah. know right yeah no yeah i mean I don't, that's I don't verbatim people yeah. have seen the david boyd yeah interview where he was taking them to task for that but he was saying why don't you play more black artists they're doing a lot of great work they have a lot of great videos and like oh people in indiana would be scared of prince or whatever he yeah. also threw madonna in there but you know 
they were putting the other they were putting the rock stuff on there that was no more tame than anything prince was doing yeah you know but thriller was just too big to ignore yeah yeah and then purple rain when it came out was the same and that came out in 84 it's so it's so interesting because when i was thinking about it like to me when i was younger i was more drawn to like 1999 the song the video and like the jacket <laughs> i love the jacket it, it's it's just one of those i remember like we used to go to a music store called the doo-wop shop in louisville kentucky where my dad would like like do stuff but it was like one half music store one half like sell cd or records they didn't have cds they had cassettes and records and but i remember going there from a very young age with my dad and like they had this huge purple or it was 1999 poster not a purple rain poster it was a 1999 poster and it was kind of like a cutout of prince and i remember like staring that as a child like it's one of my childhood memories is definitely looking at that prince thing in the doo-wop shop and it was so i just assumed 99 was so popular and i felt like probably pre like what i would call his comeback he wouldn't but like and then definitely into the Super Bowl. I felt Purple Rain Purple Rain was kind of popular, but I feel like after that it became kind of like his more signature song again. Whereas I think like around like 2000 you might have said 1999 was his signature song. Oh, for but, sure, cuz I remember yeah. the lead up to to 1999 and people even kind of just saying, "Oh, they're going to play that song a lot." Oh yeah. Well, and actually I think we talked about this on our other Prince podcast with Prince's friend and but like on on MTV2 that's what they did for 24 24 hours they played the 1999 video over and over again <laughs> i remember when i was in college because I, I didn't know the history of the song of course or what it actually means but in college i was just saying to some friends of mine because it started 1999 started playing and i was mm-hmm. like that was a genius move because he's gonna have like a hit in 1982 <laughs> and it's gonna be a hit in 1999 and i was like looking for which which New Year's Eve show is he going to perform this on? Of course he didn't. Yeah. He said it was redundant. Like, Come on. This doesn't amuse me. Yeah. And then he just turned it into Raven to the Joyce. Yeah. The great album. But it's a great album. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was the more popular song for him versus mm-hmm. Purple Rain to me. No, no, that that is I I would say that around that era. That that's certainly what I thought it was as well. Mm-hmm. I still um, think before and since. Obviously, you said before, but I think even since has gone back to being Purple Rain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the once once he did that Super Bowl performance, it was that that was his signature song at that point. I mean, it was already kind of, but it definitely was after that. Yeah. Can you make it rain harder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing that I remember hearing in the podcast about the making of this album, which was the Prince Estate did. That which was a very interesting podcast. People should go check that out. They have several episodes. And one thing they mentioned was that they were like driving on tour somewhere, and there was some big billboard that was saying the world's going to end in you know, like 1999 is going to be the last year. World's going to end in 2000 or whatever. And that's what inspired Prince to write the song, which was pretty wild because he wasn't believing it. it was, they all were just sort of like, "Oh, wild." And then he just started getting ideas. And then so yeah. he just wrote that song. Huh. And it was also like a anti-nuclear. Yeah, 1999 was an anti-atomic bomb or anti-nuclear weapons album, and which is why, you know, Mommy, Why Does Everybody Have a Bomb is the refrain at the end of the song. Mm-hmm. But you know, one other thing that I noticed about this album, kind of going into this topic, I expected to be as familiar with this, with the songs on this album as I was with Thriller. 
And then I was looking and I was like, I realized, I mean, I always knew that Prince was very prolific in the amount of music he makes. But then when I looked at this list and realized that I was really only super familiar with the first three. Yeah. Most people are probably. Yeah. Right. And I've heard a couple of the other songs, mm-hmm. but then that was kind of it as far as, cause I'm not on the level of Prince fandom that I'm, that you are. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I'd love Prince. I'm not and, surprised you said that because for one, he is, he was so prolific. He has so much music that it's a bit unfair for everyone to be able to keep up with it. But DMSR, that's the song that the fans are going to call out. That's what they're going to get excited about at the concert. But the average person doesn't know that one. Mm -hmm. Like the average person definitely knows 1999, Little Red Corvette, Purple Rain, When Doves Cry. Uh, maybe Maybe even Diamonds and Pearls is something that someone would reference. Bat Dance or Party Man, something like that. Alphabet Street, you can go on and on. But dmsr is one of those of the many songs of his that really is a deep cut it's not a deep cut in fans minds i would say late lady cab driver is a deep cut and yeah i would say so too yeah (laughs) that's all the critics in you in love you in new york's also another deep cut there are this is an album of jams many of which are deep cuts automatic i did not know until i got the album and i remember when i first heard it i just loved it so much i just loved the way he was going a-u-t-o-matic i just thought that was super interesting i remember driving around listening to it and just being in love with that song and never having heard it this is like such a killer album something in the water is such a great song if you had to pick a favorite what would it be i thought about this um if i was being like like mega fan i would say lady cab driver just because i like i think it spans him when you mm-hmm. listen to it, because it, it ends with some pretty sick guitar, but it's very funky and it's very James Brown inspired kind of jam. And it's got great sense and great every, everything. And it's just really phenomenal. The drumming sounds so good on that one. But it's for me, shockingly, it's it's delirious. I, I love, love delirious. that one too. I love delirious. I just it's so much fun. And it's yeah, like it, it's the one that brings most joy to me is delirious. But I, lo- oh, I also cool. love I love DMSR, but yeah. I would say Delirious is like just a just such a joyful song. <laughs> I saw this really great performance in like the aughts on YouTube and it got taken down because Prince was sitting his lawyers to have people take stuff off of YouTube. But I caught this performance he did. I don't even know what show it was. And it was bizarre. He was standing in the middle of a stage and like the audience of this show was, was just kind of all on the dance floor around him. And the video just starts with him looking at the band, looking at every member of the band going, the turnaround, the turnaround, the turnaround. And then they just launch into DMSR at the turnaround and (laughs) uh, just go nuts. And all the people are going crazy. They're so into it. There's this middle-aged white dude standing next to him, dancing his heart out. And Prince gives him the mic and the guy knows the lyrics. (laughs) You know, like these were... These were Prince super fans. No idea what this show was. No idea how to find it. The, but DMSR is, I mean, if I was going to be basic, I would say it's Little Red Corvette. I remember playing yeah. that one on repeat in college. But as an adult, it's DMSR automatic for me. But I also love Let's Pretend We're Married. And International yeah. Lover is really funny to me. Yeah, it's it's a pretty funny song. Yeah. We so talked I, about, again, we talked about that one in our Prince podcast with Prince. Yeah. That's right. Lloyd. Shout out to Lloyd. That's right, Lloyd. 
So I enjoyed all of the songs from the album, but because most of them were like unfamiliar to me, I can't put them on the favorite list. So it's like 1999, of course. Uh, I guess I'm basically. <laughs> so 1999 is my you are basic. little red red delirious close by delirious. Delirious. No, I, I, what other song does he do that vocal style in i was trying to think about it I like don't i don't i don't know that he does yeah i mean it's basically a blues song that's but it's so much fun yeah. <laughs> he kind of did that voice at the concert i went to Oh, yeah. It was so uh, one of my best friends and I went to see him at the forum. Jason's laughing because this is the I'm guessing that you're laughing because this is the one time he didn't do any encores. But everybody <laughs> waited because we know that he always I did. I <laughs> Once this one lady in the audience kept saying as people were leaving, y'all can leave if you want to. But my friend said he came out three times the other night, <laughs> but he didn't do any encores. He just came out and rode around on his bicycle and waved at us. Oh, that's but, funny. <laughs> But that's, he was, that's pretty fun though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he he did a medley of his hits. He need, it was like back to back to back. Yeah, he did and that for he, us. Too. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. he just went, I've got too many hits. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Um, he really does. <laughs> I forgot that you saw him live. I remember. I didn't know I that. Thinking. I didn't know that I was at the forum. That's freaking awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah. $25 ticket, great seat. Wow. Was we definitely paid more than 25. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he was eight years old hanging out of the forum with Jerry Buss and Kareem. <laughs> I don't know how or why they were so cheap. Well, that's good. That I'm glad you saw him because I remember when I was still grieving his death at one point with Justina. I don't remember what was going on. I don't know what triggered the thought, but I started like tearing up and Justina was like, what? And I was like, I'm just sad that Trey's never going to see Prince live. such a good brother such a good brother but that that was actually the first time i realized he really does have too many hits because yeah my friend and i were up dancing like everybody else for most of it and Mm -hmm. then there was this run of songs where it's like we don't know what this is so we're sitting down (laughs) the thing is he has so many songs that he could have gone three hours and sometimes he did and he still would have left stuff on the table that he hadn't done you know like like songs that you wish you could have heard that yeah. he released. They were singles. They weren't some random deep cut that, of course, he wouldn't do. There was something <laughs> that was a single and a hit for him yeah. that he didn't do. And it's, you know, that's true probably for him more than anyone who performs other than like Paul McCartney. For the Eagles. Maybe. But I would say Billy Joel more than oh maybe, Billy, yeah, probably maybe Billy Elton Joel. John. You could say that about Stevie Wonder, Marilyn Manson. Yep, all the greats. <laughs> but you know, just I have so many songs. I'm like working on my favorite Prince playlist, Prince song playlist, and I'm probably gonna have 200 songs on it. You know, like it's yeah. just phenomenal. Obviously, Prince is a huge imp- inspiration in my life, but uh, I think his impact was with this album. As we were saying, this was only the start. This was really just the beginning for him of his impact. And it grew. Like the stuff, the albums before this have a lot of great songs, a lot of classic print songs. But you see the youngness in his artistry. You see how, how not inexperienced, but just how not quite yet fully formed yet 
his approach to music is when you listen to previous albums. And it all, I think, really, this is probably the first album where it all comes together in a bigger yeah. way. Yeah. Where he's the, the big star. And then to just come out and do Purple Rain after this is unreal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. pretty amazing to follow something up this good with something transcendent, <laughs> in <Yeah>. my opinion. <laughs> so spin off know. the time in the process. Yeah. And not yeah. even just the time. There's the family. There's Apollonia, there's, you know, Vanity. There's probably tons of stuff. hits for the bangle or a hit for the bangles. And you know, Stevie like Nicks. The... And yeah. Right. I'm still mad at pop-up video for that bangle song. <laughs> What was the name that, what was it? Oh, I forget what name. Oh, Christopher. It's just Christopher, just Christopher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, one of the things, just the, we're mentioning the, the time. There's a line in, in DMSR, Jamie Starr is a thief. That is, yeah. that was another pseudonym that he used. He wrote under Jamie Starr and Jamie Starr to the public was producing the time. Oh. It was really him. <laughs> But he was doing it under that name and he created this mythology around it, this story around it to drum up attention where there was some sort of rivalry between Prince and Jamie Starr. And, and Jamie Starr is stealing from me. <laughs> he stole all my stuff and doing it with the time. And it was just a total gag. <laughs> it was just an ninja, basically. Yeah. Pretty funny. Pretty funny. Well, let's move on to the other big album. Can't believe this album came out a month later. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really I really remember it now because I was two months old. So now I definitely remember the you know <laughs> right. Like... I'll be I'll be frank though, I do remember when Thriller came out. It, it probably not November of 1982, but probably January of 1983. I do remember in preschool uh, turning four. <laughs> right. But I do remember them bringing it and, and uh, they brought a few of the classes together and we just stood around and danced like the Peanuts kids. It literally, when I picture the moment, the all the kids, it's like the Peanuts kids dancing. It's Franklin's one you're thinking of, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't read. So, so like I said, I don't remember when 1999 came out. I do remember Thriller. Rob, you said you remember it because you were two months old. Yeah. Trey, what is your memory of this? Well, I guess I'm trying to think, I can't picture what my first memory is because there are i guess a bunch but i remember in i guess it was a social media post however many years ago you said that sitting in the car riding with aunt ruth yeah i always pictured purple rain you you kind of associate that with riding with her and thriller well in the in your post you mm-hmm. focus on purple rain for me it was all about thriller like i in 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 particular human nature i don't know why that song always well, stood out from those car rides Oh, interesting. But it's become, not to get ahead of probably what you're going to ask us later, but it's become my favorite song of his. It's my favorite song of his too, yeah. But then I also kind of remember other stuff in stages, like obviously Beat It, uh, particularly when the video came out. And with Billie Jean, I don't think about the music video. I think about Motown 25. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. I remember Motown (laughs) 25, but I do think of the video because I remember her mom saying something about like being really into how when he steps the mm-hmm. lights come on you know like yeah. she was, mm-hmm. she thought, i remember her thinking that was really cool i was and, really mm-hmm. into that for that reason but when motown 25 hit i mean that was that the was, way i always hit pictured. that moment in history is elvis on ed sullivan it's the beatles on it's, ed sullivan if you're not familiar that's that's where michael unveils the moonwalk 
So yeah. when he does that performance, he he does the moonwalk. So he actually doesn't do the moonwalk in the actual Billie Jean video. He does it for the live. A lot of people think he does it. He did it in the music video. It's like no, it was a live performance, yeah. and it was for which nominated for an Emmy. Yeah, he should have lost to Fred Astaire. Do you can you imagine like if that moment had happened when social media was around? Like oh, it would gosh. be like it would have been like the most tweeted thing like ever. Yeah, like. It would be more than Kafifi. Like it would <laughs> <laughs> be more than the Ellen picture at the Oscars. Oh, oh yeah, that one too. I mean, it would be just like it would be like, does everybody see this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are no, you for a sure. human? <laughs> I remember because I actually remember sitting there watching it live because our parents were into it because of the history of Motown. Sure. You know, it's Robert Townsend hosting. It's Temps versus Tops in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Is, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. You kind of go through, mm-hmm. and I remember Stevie Wonder doing an impersonation of little Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, little, so I remember like all those bits. And then the, the Jacksons doing their medley mm-hmm. and everyone being excited about that. And then Michael just took it over when he did Billie Jean. Yeah, it was a real passing the baton moment. It was a really, it was a really cool thing to see him with his brothers performing. And by this point, they were not on Motown anymore. So it was pretty cool that they were there to do this performance. And then he did his thing and he didn't over choreograph on this time period of his career. That's the other thing I noticed is it was it was choreographed, but mostly freestyle. It's not like Beat It and Thriller and what we know Mm -hmm. of every Michael Jackson since then. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of mostly him moving to the music which is essentially what he did on off the wall if you look at those oh yeah it's especially if you what watch, he like, did. the rock that rock with you video think about that one yeah, yeah. it's also one of those he, type of moves yeah it's, and don't stop till you get enough he also mm-hmm. was oh, yeah. very freestyle with the grammy version of man in the mirror but yeah he liked to be spontaneous and in the moment so he would kind of know the beats but he would let it yeah shine however it shine felt right in the moment so when we talk about like, what do you remember about this? I mean, there's so many memories mm-hmm. uh, of my childhood associated with that. Like you mentioned the rides with Aunt Ruth. One of the main things with, with that was when we would get in the car, she would say, what album do you want to listen to? Or what do you want to listen to, Prince or Michael Jackson, which meant Thriller or Purple Rain. Yeah, And uh, we usually picked Thriller. I feel like, but there was a lot of Purple Rain getting played too, quite mm-hmm. frankly. But I just remember I, I, we're back home, so we're in the town where she'd be driving by, and there's this one building that I always associate with those rides and her asking about, you know, which album should we play? And we were always just so happy <laughs> whenever it came <laughs> on. But so that's one big memory of our childhood. We should also go over the track listing. So the the the, <laughs> the lead single was The Girl Is Mine. Yep. The doggone girl is mine. The doggone girl. That dirty, rotten girl. Spoiler, that's my, <laughs> my least favorite. <laughs> Fair, I mean, I, I don't know if I have like a least favorite, to be honest with you, because I just I do like all of them, but I do have a favorite. So I guess, you know, there has to be something I don't think about as much as others, but I don't know how to quantify it. I love this one. It's one of the two songs that he did with the beetle paul mccartney <laughs> it's a pretty big deal to have a song a lead single of a song have a beetle on it the second single was billy jean third single was beat it then it was want to be starting something 
then human nature, then PYT, pretty young thing, then thriller. There are seven songs released from this album. There are nine tracks on this album. And the other two that weren't mentioned are The Lady in My Life, which is the last song on the record, and Baby Be Mine. Baby Be Mine. And Baby Be Mine is such a great song that you just assume that it was released. Like if Baby Be yeah. Mine came out now, it would be a hit. You know what I, I mean? I think I know why. I, I I have a theory about why that wasn't released. I think it's because P. It's so similar to PYT, and PYT is the no it's stronger. I think I think well, that's that's that could be it. But I think it's more. It's the song that sounds most like it was a, a reject from Off the Wall. It sounds the most off the wall of any of the songs. And that's why I really like it. It's what actually, I don't know. Sometimes it's like my second favorite song of the album. Hmm. Um, but I like that kind of 70s disco involved. And so it's like a very disco-y off the wall style song. And I wonder if it was like, he was like, I like this one, but it does feel like it's not where I'm going with it. So like where I'm going with Thriller. So I wonder if maybe, I mean, this is all just speculation, but like, if that's why he didn't release that one. Cause it's a jam. Like, I, I don't yeah, think a lot of people know. That I mean, this song, this is, this album is nothing but bangers. Well, I have yeah. a different guess as to why it wasn't released mm-hmm. and is related to what, what Jason just said. Cause it sounds like from what I read about this, Michael was frustrated with the fact that most albums have like, a couple of great songs and everything else sounds like b-sides yeah and so he wanted to do an album where literally everything was a killer yeah so i think it was just unheard of at that point in time to release this many songs <laughs> as singles and so something was just going to get left out yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i think that's fair i don't i'm trying to think of other albums that would have a bunch of songs that were released how many like singles came off of like the white album or you know what i mean like yeah and i don't know offhand but that one does that, that might that's a double album i know i was just trying to think like something yeah i mean yeah i don't think uh, like led zeppelin or any of them had like that many singles on an album yeah i remember john mayer talking about this record and he was saying you know such and such song which was the sixth song released from the album and then he paused to point out how bizarre it is for an album that yeah. has that many have so many good songs that it has well look that i mean many look at 99 compare and comparable you know it's like really it's three singles because i know like you know the, you know like the other one but it really people think about three and really it's the two maybe they're like let's just pump the brakes here they apparently weren't gonna do thriller at first they released that because it had started to drop sales because it was the like, album started the album yeah and so they're like well if we release the title song maybe it'll bring it back up and gee i wonder how that worked out because <laughs> yeah. it only yeah. blew up that was released november 5th of 1983 could have maybe put it out right before halloween but whatever uh, i don't know when the music video came out i guess now it's time to talk about the music video since we're still in the how did this album shape your childhood stage of the conversation and I, my recollection has to do with you're asking for a gift. <laughs> Tell that oh, story. Birthday. So, yeah. So to Jason's question, he said he didn't know when it was released. Thriller, according to Wikipedia, hit MTV December 2nd, 1983. Wow, and crazy. it was the following spring when the video went to VHS. And oh, okay. 
I think if I, if I remember correctly, it was April that it was going to come out on VHS. I didn't mm -hmm. notice mm -hmm. that on, on Wikipedia, but my birthday is March. And so I asked for that for my birthday and it was like the thing you have to get this. And we were like the only, maybe one of the few kids at our elementary school that had it. <laughs> so we'd like, when we got it, I was inviting kids left and right to the house <laughs> to watch it. Like it was an event. Like yeah. that's awesome. And I was five. So I thought it was normal to have that thing. I, I too thought it was just something that everyone had. <laughs> and I never, we never owned it. It's just that MTV would play it every once in a while, the full mm -hmm. version with all but, the behind so the Yeah. My recollection of that music video is very much in the context of watching that whole thing, watching the behind yeah. the scenes thing, hearing some of the songs from off the wall, even hearing, uh, I think there's a Jackson song that's on there. Well, there was another one too. Blame it on the boogie. Isn't that a Jackson? Jackson that's song? a Jackson spot. Is, song. But I'm not sure that that's on making thriller. So my context of thriller is really everything involved with it. It's what that deep cut reference that Trey made of John Landis when he was yeah. asked to direct the music video. He was like, little Michael Jackson of the Jackson 5? But nevertheless, that I think one of the things that people just maybe don't understand about the 80s is just how much Prince and Michael Jackson and Madonna dominated for i mean as someone who didn't even necessarily like madonna she felt like a constant of my childhood but yeah. prince and michael jackson were important to me and 83 and 84 were just all about those two until ghostbusters came out and then bill murray got on the list but that was just like a two-year stretch of only caring about michael jackson and prince and every once in a while, then I guess at some point, Stevie Wonder and Lionel Richie come into my, you know, come to my attention. They don't even care about us, though. <laughs> That's all I can say. All I can say, say is they don't is really they care. don't even care about us. <laughs> <laughs> so what else were you going to mention about the, the tape? So, well, earlier you, you were talking about how he would just kind of get the feed and Mm -hmm. That was how the, the part where Michael and Ola Ray are leaving the theater. They explained this in the making of Thriller. John Landis didn't want to choreograph Michael's part. He just wanted to make sure Ola got the beat right mm -hmm. so that Michael could just do his thing mm -hmm. dancing around. So like in the rehearsals, you just see Michael's just playing around. He's not even like it's really so effortless for him. Like, yeah. yeah. Now, it's unreal. One thing that I distinctly remember as a five-year-old trying to watch thrillers, I would, there were certain parts of the video that I would get scared about and I'd make my mom watch those parts. Yeah. He would hide behind the couch. I would hide behind the couch. Well, those you, parts are on. Do you do that with just, you, do you do, do that with just, they make now? a video that's this scary that kids have to hide behind the back. <laughs> did, did he yeah. say that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I've said this before, but like my son really wants to watch the thriller video. And I'm like, bro, you can't even get through like Scooby-Doo. You're not making it through the thriller video. <laughs> as soon as he says, go away, go away. Well, that's yeah. not even that. It, it was one of the, um, was when the, 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 the zombies are coming out of the graves. There is a portion of that at the beginning of that part that I can watch. But I think what Rob was referencing was that fat guy whose stuff, the stuff is coming out of his mouth. That part got me as a kid where I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. 
no no just it's just yeah it's yeah. <laughs> that part was, I, but as an adult i'm like yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> i know not now i'm like i love it like I, I want him to watch it but i also want him to sleep so <laughs> <laughs> he's five well i watch it as a five-year-old just let tell him he can hide behind the couch <laughs> yeah hide behind your mom who's gonna be pretty pissed off at me for a while <laughs> you let him watch what don't tell mom don't tell mom I showed him beat it the other day and I was like, please God, please God, remember this right, Rob. Remember this right, Rob. Cause I was like, before I was like, they get out the knives, but nobody gets hurt. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, please don't like get cut in the arm. Don't get cut in the arm or something. Yeah. No, no one got cut in that. <laughs> no yeah. one gets cut in that. Yeah. I always loved that video too. Yeah. And like, too. I would try to recreate the little, you know that that yeah. part's hard. The hand yeah. wiggling thing is is hard. That's, that's I can do one. exactly one of those dance moves. Yeah, it's and a, then of course Conan had the neck guy on. <laughs> I forget when he, he found that guy and then just had him do the do it and like he he said, "Do you recognize this guy?" They say no. And then he started doing the neck <laughs> yeah. thing. And it's, oh, you're that guy. I don't know why I always think of I forgot about that move. And then like I've I've watched Tropic Thunder so many times that like there's a part where like he tells the guy do the thriller and he does the thriller move (laughs) and it's like dead on. And so I I don't know why I like I then like when I was watching or, you know, beat it again, I saw that move and I was like laughing. I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) like that guy nailed it. So what all has music videos from this? I don't believe the girl is mine does. Billie Jean does beat it. Human nature and thriller. Yeah. Human mm-hmm. nature doesn't really. Well, it has. There's. Um, I saw that somewhere. But it's not on YouTube. Is it not on the? I don't know. I can't find it on YouTube either. But that it's like all drawings. Like right. A, I know. I saw I loved it. Like it. Once. I saw it as a kid and I loved it. But and I've been trying to see. I I saw it somehow online many years ago, like over a decade ago, and it's been it's really hard to find um yeah. i don't even think wikipedia notes it as having been released as a video so i don't know if it was yeah. just some stylistic thing in a specific special or maybe what. i loved it though that is my all-time favorite maybe it was in what's the name of that moonwalk was it in that moonwalker moonwalker yeah I was, talk- moonwalker? I was talking to jason about that movie the other day because there's this whole section with danny or no danny joe pesci joe pesci <laughs> like where he's like this evil guy and like it, go, it goes from like smooth criminal and then like michael becomes a giant robot laser it's weird <laughs> yeah moonwalker is weird the smooth criminal thing is dope but yeah. like moonwalker overall is kind of has its moments but it's kind of weird. it's weird <laughs> speaking of there's that moment where he's like oh where's bubbles his his pet monkey and they're yeah. like oh he's at home in a print shirt and he's like a print shirt the kid michael jackson in moonwalker says that yeah. not actually michael jackson Nevertheless, back to the songs. So I was saying I really love Human Nature. It's my favorite. And everything else, it's like number two. You know, like I really do love all of them. Is there Um, a better run of songs than Thriller to Human Nature? I don't think so. I mean, I was listening to it the other day. I was riding around and I was like, the balls to put like the girl is mine right before Thriller just to like change the palette a little bit yeah it feels um, like the. it's so funny because that's how I, I look at it i know the girl is mine was popular then but i don't think it's endured i don't hear it on the radio ever i and, don't know that it is either but some i wonder how much of that is because uh, paul mccartney got so mad at him for yeah uh, i know but also Beatles but also i think say is a better song by the way oh, so. so it was like a it was considered mm-hmm. a greatest hit of his at least at the time mm-hmm. that came out yeah 
I do love the part where Paul McCartney goes, I don't believe it. No, the girl is blind. Speaking of the, you know, that was a part where right after they were talking, mm-hmm. Vincent Price crushed in the Thriller song. He, I was listening to, I have a special edition version of the Thriller album and it has some bonus stuff at the end and it had Q, Quincy Jones, who, how have we not mentioned him yet? He produced this album. He's fantastic. He's one of the all-time great, if not the all-time great music producer. Anyway, he was saying that Vincent Price nailed it in two takes. Yeah, I saw that. And they play the behind-the-scenes thing of him going through, and he just crushes it, just nails it. And it's and it's just his voice. They have a little reverb, but that's it. They This was the 80s. They didn't have all, all the tricks that you have now. That so, was his pure voice I to terrorize to y'all's neighborhood. <laughs> I knew you were going. But, I, but I he used said, to have can it. you dig it? Yeah. <laughs> In the original. Oh, yeah. I used to have that Thriller 25 with those, and I think I let somebody borrow it. Mm. That, it's also it. got the, the, the Billie Jean demo. Where like you can yeah. hear Michael's yeah. got the beat. And he's like, and then that's like, um, mm, I need mm, more mm, kick in the headphones. And yeah, I need that. I need that. I need that. That's what he's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hearing that voice. Yeah. Be so like also alpha. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Alpha, but like, yeah, the, the betas alpha of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a killer album. I don't even know what to say is like a I, second I favorite because so many parts are so great. So it's, it's, it's interesting because I think it's an album that has a lot of influences, but it's not just mm-hmm. his influences. Because you know you've got a lot of Toto on the album, so right. Um, not just they they aren't the only ones, but obviously like Steve Lukather mm-hmm. wrote the lick for "Beat It," so mm-hmm. that's everybody always thinks that that Eddie Eddie just does the solo. Steve he just Lukather, did the solo, yeah. Steve Lukather did everything else and the bass, and but that song to me, you know, da 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 da. But that part, da 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 da. Now listen, da 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 da. Da day tripper, da 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 do do. So was that something he was influenced by? He always talks when I read because Lukather is my favorite guitarist. He is obsessed with the Beatles. He plays with Ringo when he can now. But obviously, like they were like. They, they all were like passing out when they got to record the girl is mine. So, you know, so you can hear like when you listen to the riffs now, you'll hear there's a very much a Beatles day tripper vibe to it. And I know like Quincy had told them he wanted his own My Sharona. He was like, we need a My Sharona. We need a My Sharona. Yeah. For beat it. For beat it. And so yeah, he wanted that, a black rock song. Yeah. He got one. He got one, but it's very, and they wanted it's a very, few different yeah. genres in there to kind of, and it's funky, but even though it's like, but then you got, that's very funky. Yeah, that's the funk in it. And then, yeah, it's it's such a yeah. And then the solo, blistering, fantastic solo. The solo is unbelievable. I mean, if you ever, if you wanted to boil Eddie Van Halen down into one solo, it's the beat it solo to me. I think it's his finest work. What I've heard Quincy say is that. You know, he recorded more than that, and they just pared it down to that. They yeah. just used the part, just like arranged it. Uh, it's just, it's, it's like, oh, it's everything you ever want. Everything about Eddie Van Halen in one solo, it really is. And to have, and that's what's so insane. You've got Paul McCartney, like the biggest artist of all time, on another the biggest artist of all time's album, singing a song, and then you've got Eddie Van Halen, the greatest guitarist of the '80s, 
don't at me. It's just truth. Like, like on the song and it's mm-hmm. just, it's fire. <laughs> it's yeah. such fire. And then, and then you've got the guys from Toto and one of them writes one of your, if not your greatest song with human nature. And that was, yeah. And know, it was an accident. <laughs> yeah. It was Steve Picaro. You know, he wrote, <laughs> I was listening to the story of that and they had put some song, they'd given them some song and they were like, ah, this one's okay. This was just like they're the Quincy yeah. listening to a tape. And then there was all this dead space. And then like, oh wow, uh, that's great. And that there was they were originally gonna put a song called Carousel on the mm. album, they, which yeah. is a nice song. But he said this pushed Carousel off of being on the album. I understand. I understand why. Just like it was something the dude was just messing around with. It didn't Steve, need it was, to yeah. turn that in. I was never particularly Steve into Picaro. SWV, and then they did the Human Mate, or you know, Teddy Riley did the Human Nature remix of Love Will Be Right There, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, this song's good. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, Michael Jackson passed away, I I <laughs> went to Nashville with Rob and to see our buddy Jim, best friend of the show, other best friend of the show, Jim, and. It was. It happened to be the weekend of the memorial service for Michael Jackson, and we knew that John Mayer was going to be playing at it. And I was like, "Hey, what song do you think he's going to play?" And one of you said, "Beat it," and I was like, "No, I did, I did," because I thought because I know he had done that solo before, and so he I did that he... solo on the the remake of the song, song or the cover mm-hmm. of the song that for a movie. Fall Out Boy it... did, and it's a, he does an interesting job with that solo it's not his style of play but no, um, no. It, it was a good he did a good job with it but i was like no because it would be weird to do that song at a funeral and yeah. i said i think he's gonna do human nature and when he Good did Lord. it i almost crapped myself <laughs> yeah well you were right i remember being there looking at him like damn he was right <laughs> <laughs> and i love that version of the song I'm probably gonna have yeah. to go listen to it now not right now but when we're done with this I'm not sure. No, but... you got to stop right now. <laughs> Anybody who covers it now on YouTube, they're copying John's version. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, you, you've talked a good bit about the guitar parts on the album. I feel like there's so much music now that was clearly influenced by the guitar parts on this album. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, beat it. I mean, it's, that's I mean, that's a riff. I mean, so like including riffs and something like that. Whereas like Billy Jean, I mean, that's so iconic. The guitar do 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 do. I mean, just all that whole riff. That's a lot more keyboard, but still there's just a lot of like and that bass line. That really it's the bass line and the drums on that song that's so I mean it's hundred BPM. Just like I mean yeah, if you're a drummer, you should be able to play that beat. <laughs> so yeah, and, um, yeah, you know, like I guess I don't know if we mentioned it when we talked about Sob Rock, but there are a couple of parts in that where John Mayer said he was thinking, "What if, what if Steve Lukather came in and laid something down on the track, and that was the style of a couple of the part mm. of uh, different songs?" Nice. I feel like there was a previous album too where he has yeah yeah something off of Search for Everything. It's either Moving On and Getting Over or Still Feel Like Your Man. There's a part at the end of that that feels so much like this album, mm-hmm. like like yeah. Pyt specifically. I think he oh yeah oh yeah something. I could yeah Pyt's 
God, that I just it's I have such memory of like one of our family friends, Lowell, who's God bless Lowell. He's you know, he's just an interesting man. And but he loved the song PYT and he always wanted to do it live because he wanted to do the <laughs> <laughs> So every time I hear that song, I think about him doing that. He's just yeah, it's it's comical to me. Yeah, I mean just a lot of the the good guitarists today, they are influenced by this well, album yeah i mean you've also got bes- besides luke luke you've got david williams who was an amazing guitarist look him up and then paul jackson jr who's just mm-hmm. one of my biggest influences on tracks lo- five eight nine yeah paul jackson jr actually i think yeah i think actually paul probably did the dun 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 he probably did that part yeah he's on beat it yeah. he's on he PYT, is on beat and mm-hmm. he's on lady in my life which i want to say something about lady in my life it's uh, a beautiful song it's a beautiful song and it, when I was in college at first, when I started re-listening to this album in truth, like not just listening to certain, selecting certain songs to listen to, but actually sitting and listening to the whole album, I was sort of like, yeah, and then there's the ballad at the end, whatever. Yeah. But I started really paying attention to that song and his vocal performance on that. That's gonna... One, the, his vocal performance on every song is one of the best but it, vocal it... performances you could hear. It's it's it is it is even though it's kind of sad because it is kind of like not really well known. It's his best vocal performance on the album. It's the one where he is definitely more in, in tune with like that traditional R and B. Yeah, so go for it ballad. You know, like yeah, it was like is, his this is, like a Marvin Gaye song. His yeah, or just you know, just, just you saw all the music. Kind of, yeah, it's like you know Whitney Houston was a master at doing that. You know, mm-hmm. like the ballad just. Just, I'm going to show you how good of a singer I am. Yeah. And Michael really never, you know, he was more of a hit maker. He never yeah. really, you know, people don't really appreciate him as much. I think about his voice because he's just so many things, but like, right. he's just a really good singer. And that's the song that really shows how good of a singer he was. That's yeah. one of the things I was reading about the critical acclaim for this is people talking about how great his vocal performances were just yeah. on fire. Like literally it's, yeah. it's, the album to me, whenever I hear someone say, oh, those vocals are fire, I'm always comparing it to Michael's vocals on this. I'm like, is it does it meet thriller level? Does, yeah. Is it if it doesn't do for me what wanna be starting something does? <laughs> like all yeah. just the enunciation, the phrasing, the the just the 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 little I forget the ad libs, like all just all of the stuff he's doing yeah. on this album. It's it's really unreal. And I think it's there's something that's really pure, but I feel well, like he, he is also at his peak performance for knowing how to use everything he can do with this album and then and then the fact that he arranged like some of the horns like like you yeah. gotta be starting something he arranged those horns like that's mm-hmm. just he was just ridiculous <laughs> yeah it, it was just an unreal talent that um you know fame what and, and ego yeah and raised and being raised by a monster yeah. of a human being. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah, um, but... I've already mentioned, obviously, that Human Nature is my favorite, but I've always loved all of these songs. Right. And, you know, obviously, because of the videos, Beat It and Thriller and, and yeah. Billie Jean always were high up there. But re-listening this week, I realized, wow, Wanna Be Starting Something is very close to... is much closer to Human Nature as, as mm. than I thought it would be in terms mm. of being favorite. Like, that, that's probably the one in part because I was watching the YouTube versions because I wanted to see the actual music videos of the songs that they're videos for. And they 
for whatever reason, because I was watching on the smart TV instead of on my YouTube and it kept auto playing. And so it kept going back to want to be starting something, mm -hmm. but I didn't want to stop it. I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> Two stories about the impact that this album has had on me. So one is I was at a wedding where I was DJing. I was a friend of the family. So they just asked me to be the DJ. The difficult thing was my friend was marrying into like a Bob Joneser family. And for people mm -hmm. outside of South Carolina, this, fundamentalist, <laughs> yeah, very fundamentalist Christians, literally people who work there. I don't know if this is still the case now, but 10 years ago, it was the case. If you worked there, you couldn't go to a restaurant that also served alcohol. Even if it was a coffee shop, if they had beer, you couldn't go there. And they immediately you could tell they weren't going to stay at this reception long. They weren't dancing. They were, it was like they were from the Footloose town and agreed with the mayor. You know, like it was like they voted for him. They donated to his campaign. So I was like, oh, no, uh, how am I going to get people to dance? There were just a lot of stuff shirt people. And they did leave pretty immediately. But I was pl I played a couple of songs. And one of the songs I played was like PYT or something like one of the very danceable songs off this record. No one was getting on the dance floor. And my friend's mom comes up and she was like, Jason, I want people on the dance floor now. And I was like, I'm playing Michael Jackson. If they're not dancing, that's on them. <laughs> like, they're, they don't want to dance. I mean, like, I don't if you know can't dance to PYT or, you know, I don't hear that song out as much as I want to, but I was in New Orleans and like, I was talking to some work people. I was trying to like be like somewhat, we were out late, but still it was trying to be work appropriate. And the band, I heard, doo -doo -doo. I was like, oh no, don't do it. And I heard, doo -doo -doo -doo. and I was like, oh shit. And I ran out like in front of the band and was like giving the lead singer high five because <laughs> they were playing BYT. I was like, so in it. So I completely, you know, didn't get a promotion because of that. But <laughs> so it's not a music video for that one, but they do play it in the making of Thriller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I associate that as almost a video for PYT. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. The bridge on PYT is my favorite bridge of the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. PYT. My other story about the impact of this album. Uh, the first joke I ever told when I started doing stand up, which, Rob, you were there for this. The very first joke I ever told was inspired by. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. The thriller music Jr. video. Joke, so yeah. the joke is, and I've never told this story before, but the joke is why are werewolves in movies always surprised when it's a full moon? Because you would think being werewolves, they'd follow the lunar cycle. Circle that day on the calendar. Don't go outside. You'll kill somebody. But yeah. no, no, they're making plans. They're going out on dates. Then they're out on a date and they're just talking. And all of a sudden they're like, why am I itchy? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, thrash their date, kill her. Pass out, wake up the next morning. Oh, what happened last night? Who's this dead hooker? Apparently werewolves live just like Charlie Sheen. Oh, <laughs> Definitely had that normal McDonald's in the McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, it was yes, very normal. Like... This is how I came up with the thought. I was watching the music video when they're in the, the movie part of the music video. And he's sitting in the car going, you know, I'm not like other guys. I know, Michael. <laughs> that's why I love you. <laughs> it's like, and then 
the the moon comes out behind the cloud he looks up he's like oh he takes a look at the moon at one point like oh no <laughs> like i'm about to turn and i'm like you pick this moment to tell her like this was a horrible choice you should have yeah. done this at like 2 p.m i'm glad you brought that <laughs> up because i meant to say the same thing because i've been watching that video for 40 years mm -hmm. and never thought about that till this week <laughs> when re-watching it i'm like this dude was just on a date <laughs> at night this is the night he wants to ask her to be his girl but <laughs> it's like he has to tell her the truth <laughs> It's also a full moon. So that was what inspired that joke. And that joke was like, I would, I went on to tell that joke a long time. It was for the first few years of me doing stand up, it was like a, a, always a joke I could do to get a laugh. And so I would do it. And then when I sort of retired the joke, I only did it when it was like my comedy birthday because it was the first, literally the first joke I told on stage. You know what makes it worse? He didn't make sure the gas tank was full. <laughs> that too. He just did you not. Know, he's not all good. You know, he's got a lot of red flags. I'm just gonna say that. Right <laughs> and then right he's now. like yelling at her to go away, and it's bro, like, bro. bro, you shouldn't have brought her here out in the middle of the forest. You don't have any gas. It's a full moon, and you're a a were cat. Mm -hmm. By the hey. way, by the way, though. Why did no one ever reuse that makeup for a movie? Because it's so awesome, and the werecat is never in anything. Like, I guess he just owns it. I guess they just. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna copy the werecat and make myself a werecat movie. Wear hyena though. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Rick, Rick Baker, man. I think we talked yeah. about this in a previous. Oh podcast, God, my Rick God, just, just amazing. Unbelievable. I mean, the, the I, zombie I makeup. I would still prefer Rick Baker makeup to a lot of. CGI that you see in movies. Amen. I mean, the transformation is unbelievable. It's so cool, and some of the zombie make. I mean, the the his zombie form is so iconic. You know, I, I don't. We haven't really talked about that one aspect of it, but it's such an icon of him as a zombie. And then, of course, him turning around and his eyeballs being you know yellow at the end of the video. Yeah, and, yeah. like I love the so cinematography on that part where Ola Ray turns, sees Michael. And then it goes back to her while it's the the zoom. Yeah, because it just here's really... what always bothered me about that is like she like enters this like abandoned house, but then like when she wakes up, she's like in this beautiful Cosby like living room, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? Like, how did she like get there? And then like, yeah, and it makes no sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's just it's it's all about a scare. Oh like, yeah, it's, it's even yeah, though we're it, making yeah. fun of the werewolf, the werecat oh. part. I mean, it's still it's like it's awesome kind of stuff. <laughs> oh no, I'm serious. I, I will not let my son watch that until he's like ten because it's gonna scare the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and also, yeah. I wonder if that is why I like horror movies so much. Watching that that music video I, as much as I did, even from behind the couch, maybe it just desensitized me too. I think it did me. I absolutely, I think that's what inspired me to love horror. And it's, and like I said, it's one of my favorite things to watch every year for Halloween. It's, yeah. it's not Halloween if I don't watch the thriller video. Exactly. Mm. Same. But yeah, I didn't even, get to watch I, Halloween or the thriller video. Yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Or listen to the Halloween song. But the, the, right yeah. yeah well, <laughs> that Jerry curl. Mm. She, but no, but I, the last thing I want to say about thriller though, the song, I may have mentioned this before, but it is so good. <laughs> like, I know, like, it's like the novelty of it, but like when you listen to it as a song, the horns are so tight. It's so funky. 
it's just a funky song. It's so good. And it's one that, it, yes, there's the novelty of the idea of the song in the video, but like, ah, oh, it's just a banger. It's just a banger. And that's why I say you've got four bangers in a row. And then PYT, which, I mean, it's still a banger. So, because <laughs> you can it's say five. It's a bizarre album in every way, it seems, because it is like this anomaly of an album. How does so much work? Why is it all so good? How did so much lightning get caught in the bottle? How did, you know, and it's really, and we mentioned him before, it's really a testament to Quincy Jones. Truly. He is someone, his, his ability was to know the right people and to bring them in at the right time. That's right. Like prob- and that's that's the sign of a really great producer. And he understood what Michael's songs needed and he understood that those people could provide it to him. Yeah. And, and so that's why it's just such an amazing album because it was it was captained by someone who had the knowledge, the skill, and and just the artistry to make it happen. Mm-hmm. The other thing in terms of impact, we've obviously talked a great deal about particular music videos, obviously Thriller in particular, and it's well documented how much Thriller has impacted the music video world. But it struck me because of the fact that I was watching in the context of listening to 1999 and listening to Thriller. And, and watching their videos and then some you know when i'd be watching on youtube some <laughs> off the wall stuff would pop up and just kind of looking at you know like don't stop till you get enough and, and rock with you in particular and then even looking at prince's 1999 and little yeah i mean that era of music videos was essentially just a person looking like it's a concert and, yeah and just oh yeah singing which was nice because this medium was new but then you come out with beat it and billy jean and then Thriller just blows it up and that storytelling element that they bring into it. Because it's not yeah. just that they're dancing like Broadway style. <laughs> right. It's it's the story behind the dancing. And you see yeah. how much of an influence, because Michael was still Michael during Off the Wall era and he was doing his moves. But you really see how Michael Peters helped shape that and yeah. kind of direct it somewhere. This is yeah. one of those things where I heard... Like Dave Chappelle say recently, he does like, and I think reference to Thriller and Michael Jackson, he was like, I don't think anything like that will happen again because I don't see how we can all, just because the way things are, not, and he didn't mean this in a political way. He was saying, I don't know how we're all going to agree on one thing like that again. Yeah. And I think that's true. I mean, like everybody liked this. Everybody liked this. And you can have some, like, someone might say, like, well, Taylor Swift is that big, but she's not no. that big. Like she even may- if you go by by Spotify listen, she's not. Bad Bunny, I think, has more than her. Drake definitely does. Ariana Grande does. They're great. I'm just surprised. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, because with Drake, I, I was surprised when Drake broke some long-standing records. And yeah. it's like I don't hear people talking about Drake. Right. Like you hear people talk about about Taylor Swift. Right. Prince and Michael Jackson. Like there's nobody. Yeah. Now that we talk. Beyonce is the closest. Yeah. Probably. And and she's not up there with Drake and Ariana Grande as far as Spotify listens are going. And which is like billions upon billions of listens. There's just some sort of worldwide attention that's just crossing genre, I guess, with them. I remember the three of us got into a debate about this when I think when we were leaving the World Series of Pop Culture <laughs> and we were talking about in terms of talent. You were yeah. talking oh, about God. Yeah. right. You two were agreeing that if he does makes the right moves, 
he could have a thriller moment. And I was like, thriller's too big of a thing to like point and be like, they could do it. I mean, there are tons of people of talent. Like one of the things actually that Quincy Jones says in this, he said, you can't make this happen. Everyone who goes into the studios, they're just trying to make great stuff. This just happened. And anyone who tells you that they can make it happen is lying. That's fair. That's true. There's That's true. the thing that surprised me when I was reading up on this, though, is there is a degree to which Michael willed this into happening because he, at least in the Wikipedia description mm-hmm. of how this got put together, like Rolling Stones wouldn't put him on the cover. Mm-hmm. And, and like things like an MTV not playing black people and Rolling right. Stones is explanation. Yeah. Oh, black people on the cover don't sell issues. So we can't mm-hmm. do it. And so Michael wanted to like blow up in a way to say, they, I want them coming after me, and maybe I'll say yes, maybe I won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was part of his impetus. That plus what I said earlier about why do albums have to be like only two or three good mm-hmm. songs in an all B side? So it was that <laughs> <Yeah>. combination. <laughs> and then all of this stuff blew up. And he was obviously before the Thriller album. I mean, the, the Moonwalk on Motown mm-hmm. mm-hmm. was blowing them up already. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you can't. Manufacturing. So you have many... to put the right people in the right places. I, but our point was more about Justin having the, ta- the right mix of talent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was possible. Like we couldn't predict that it would happen. I just yeah. would have. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying I wouldn't have used. It's my my issue is with the example of Thriller. It's yeah, just like obviously with... that didn't happen for Justin. Right, right. <laughs> but I'm just saying like. It's sort of like um, Malcolm Gladwell saying the reason the Beatles got so big was because they had 10,000 hours before they got on Ed Sullivan. And it's like just about everyone who performed on there had 10,000 hours before they got on Ed Sullivan and they didn't become the fucking Beatles. Mm -hmm. And it's so it has nothing to do with the hours. It has to do with the timing plus the hours, plus just something happening. The right person in the right place. Right. right I mean, like, uh, from Jerry Seinfeld to Bono talking about U2 to Quincy Jones talking about Thriller, they've all said, it's just something bigger than us. Yeah. And we're just the ones, we're just the vessel. We're just the one who jotted it down, as Jerry Seinfeld put it. And it just, however it comes to you, it comes to you. And what comes to you, there's so much timing involved. It's just... It's just such an unreal thing that happened, this album, yeah. that it so is. many things were able to happen. Like, you know, you think about it, everyone was at just the right spot at just the right time. Eddie Van Halen, Lukather, Quincy and Michael and Rod Temperton, and just like everyone was just in the right place at the right time. And, 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 the, yeah. and, and the same with like their, their record studio is willing to put the money into it. Marketing yeah. was right. You know, yeah, everything, it was everything just, was on everything was on point. Video, they had to beg, borrow, and deal because of the yeah. budget. So that's why there was a VHS. We <laughs> yeah. to be able oh, yeah. to sell it and make their money back. And like, oh, oh, yeah. be able to do it. I read this when we talked about it before, and, and also to try. I think they tried to sell it to M- the making of to MTV, and mm-hmm. they were like, "We don't do that kind of stuff." And it yeah, was a VHS worked out in their favor that they got somebody <laughs> to agree to that. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it was like back then that was a gamble as much of a no brainer as it seems now, 40 years later. But to your point, just adding to your point about that's not going to happen again is because there's so many different ways to get content and anybody can put content out there now. And the bubbles that people can be in. Right. Someone can be hugely famous simultaneous to being unknown. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Absolutely. I think about, I think about like reality shows. Like there's so many reality shows and I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't know who there are these people, people on are. YouTube who make millions and it's like, who are they? <laughs> who are they? Yeah, exactly. Musical artists. They might make it to SNL or something like that. And I'm like, I've never heard, heard of it. To too. a certain degree in that case, it might be because they're just shining a light on someone who hasn't. Cause they, they've kind of been that way since the beginning, yeah. but you know, there are people who can be a big name in their bubble, mm-hmm. in their little world, their big deal, mm-hmm. but they haven't mm-hmm. done whatever to get in front of everybody and get everyone's attention. And it's it's just harder to do that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It absolutely. Which is why Thriller is just unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know what to say. What else we could say about no. Thriller that hasn't already been said about... For 40 years, but it's, it's a <laughs> banger. I recommend it. Well... Thanks for being on the podcast, fellas. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And now oh. I shall go and be with my wife. <laughs> We're going to talk about ghouls and goblins. <laughs> well, you, you know what we have to end with, Rob? What's that? Mama say, 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 Which, according to Wikipedia, is not actually sweet. It's bullshit. <laughs> no, it's a different dialogue. No, I know. I'm just joking. I remember oh. Justin Timberlake on The Tonight Show said that Questlove told him it's Swahili, and Questlove was like, yeah. But it's like according to Wikipedia. Which yeah. Wikipedia <laughs> well, my cousin Questlove said. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put so, in Wikipedia yeah. that Questlove yeah. is all of our cousins. there it is dang it Rob got the there it is this week man well thanks for listening go listen to those albums and go listen to live music wherever you are wherever you are speaking of live shows New York City Boston DC go see Sean Cantatori live she does music she does comedy she's fantastic we'll link to her link tree in the description so go Check that out so you can find info about her and everything she's got going on. We love her. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. And follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Also, subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 